Oral questions by members? Delta South. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Today is the second provincial budget since disastrous flooding hit farmers and ranchers from the Fraser Valley to the Nicola Valley. Unfortunately for many, the physical, mental and financial toll continues. As Shadow Minister, my phone and email has lit up for over a year from distraught farmers in Abbotsford and Merritt. Despite the promise of $228 million in federal provincial funding, many farmers who suffered severe losses feel frustrated, forgotten and abandoned by their government. My question to the Premier, after over 15 months, why are farmers still waiting for the help promised to them? Minister of Agriculture. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and thank you, Member, for the question. It's my very first time to rise today, and I want to acknowledge that of the good work that has been done um, previously uh, with the member from uh, Tourism, Arts and Culture now. So thank you for the opportunity. These last few years have absolutely been incredibly difficult for farmers and food producers affected by flooding and landslides. The 2021 flooding was BC's biggest ever agricultural disaster and resulted in our biggest ever response. So far, over 950 payments have gone out to impacted farmers and food producers, and the Ministry of Agriculture and Food has contacted every single farmer that has reached out to us about flood recovery supports. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Member for Delta South Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, this is cold comfort to the hundreds and hundreds of phone calls that my caucus is getting still today from farmers all over Merritt, Nicola Valley, Abbotsford, Princeton. Farmers are fed up with slow, inadequate government assistance, Mr. Speaker. Ranchers on Highway 8 between Merritt and Spences Bridge are still dealing with devastating mudslides with zero compensation in sight. Farmers like Rolf and Jaswant on Sumas Prairie need costly home repairs but face bureaucratic red tape and inadequate support. Jaswant received only 70% compensation for two years of lost blueberry production, leaving a four-year income gap before new plants start to even produce. Farmers feel incredibly frustrated and abandoned. When will the Premier take responsibility and provide the much-needed support that these farmers deserve? Minister of Agriculture. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We have worked with farmers and farming organizations at each step of the development of this response to make sure it works for them. In my travels around the Fraser Valley and British Columbia, I've heard so much positive feedback about the program and the speed of its delivery. For example, Rhonda McDonald, the owner of Bar FX Ranch in Merritt, said, the government did come out with an agri-recovery program for the flooding. Actually, it's quite an extensive program and it's very helpful. I really have to give them props because it's a decent program that helps out those of us that were affected by the flooding. Finally, 
If there is someone that you know that hasn't already been in touch with the Ministry of Agriculture and Food, please reach out and connect. We're only too happy to assist. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Member for Abbotsford South. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. And it may be working for one farmer, but blueberry farmers in the Sumas Flats have some major concerns. Rising costs for replacement plants, sawdust, fertilizer, a maze of red tape and dense paperwork, and the NDP are missing in action. Farmers like Mr. Sanga have been set back a decade, and there is no compensation from the NDP for income replacement. They feel the system is designed to make them just give up. When will the Premier provide the support these farmers desperately need? Minister of Agriculture. You, Mr. Speaker, uh, we understand that many people in British Columbia are impacted by rising costs. And we recognize that the global inflationary trends and uncertain economic conditions continue to impact farmers and farm producers. The provincial government will continue to look for additional ways to support farmers as we navigate these challenging economic conditions together. Thank you. Member for Abbotsford South Supplemental. Well, thank you very much. And to the Minister, this government needs to look harder. Let me give you another example. Deljeet, a retired farmer and widow with limited funds, lost six acres of blackberries in the floods. She was denied financial assistance for rebuilding a farm building submerged in over six feet of water that was used to, farm, work, used to house farm, farm workers. Daljeet feels like the NDP is simply looking for excuses not to help, leaving her drowning in red tape. It's been over 15 months, Mr. Speaker. When will the Premier and this Minister step up and provide the support that farmers like Daljeet desperately need? Minister of Agriculture. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We have stepped up, and we have been working for over a thousand different farmers in the region. If there is someone that needs additional assistance, please ask them to reach out to the ministry because we're only too happy to help, as I said before. House Leader, Third Party. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yesterday, my colleague asked the government uh, who stopped the development of species at risk legislation. The Environment Minister stood and blamed First Nations. But that was 2018. Yeah, groan if you want. That's what he said. 2018 was when that uh, legislation. Members? Members? I did. That was before the Declaration Act, and that was also before Section 3 and the interim approach. The Minister knows, and the Minister knows that I know, that First Nations are not the reason that this government is not protecting species at risk or biodiversity. It was terrible and infuriating to sit in this place yesterday, Mr. Speaker, and hear First Nations be the scapegoat for this government's inactions. While well, this BC NDP government talks trees, 
die. While they promise a new policy, trees die because of the agreements made under the old policy. The old agreements paid First Nations for dead trees, Mr. Speaker. Now the province is proposing to defer logging on 2.6 million hectares, and once again, the agreements that they have in place with First Nations under the old policy is being blamed for the inability to defer the death of these critical forests. Mr. Speaker, through you to the Premier. Are these forests doomed to the death economics and scapegoating of this colonial institution, or will he provide immediate funding for First Nations to defer old growth logging in their territories? Minister of Forests. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. British Columbians care very deeply about our forests and the many social, environmental, and cultural benefits they provide. Forestry is the foundation of British Columbia's economy. To deal specifically with, uh, with the question that the member has raised, um, indeed, uh, following the Merkel uh, as McSorley report, the future of forests in British Columbia, we have embarked as a government upon a process of deferral of old growth. Uh, that process is a very inclusive one, it includes uh, every First Nation. Uh, the responses from various First Nations have been different, uh, but nonetheless, they are all included in that process. Uh, so far, uh, 2.1 million hectares has been deferred. Uh, we've made a commitment uh, recently to uh, establish what are called forest landscape tables, where in the past the, the, uh, the uh, companies would provide a logging plan. This process will include uh, First Nations, communities, uh, companies, uh, unions, uh, and uh, develop uh, an enduring uh, plan that will have community support and provide a new path forward for forestry in British Columbia. House Leader Third Party Supplemental. I'm glad the Minister states that uh, his government is working with all First Nations. This should be a fairly easy question for the Premier to answer. Yesterday I sat in the Mungo Martin Big House uh, with uh, my main uh, Sewitsuk uh, hereditary chiefs, Wallace uh, Namuguis, uh, David Mungo Knox, the uh, head chief of the Kokutal, and uh, Mum Tagila chief, Makwala, uh, Randy Cook, Tom Child, and others around the fire, Mr. Speaker. Those chiefs carry the powerful names of their ancestors, uh, the names that they were looked after and honoured in a good way. These are the leaders this government has always overlooked and ignored, Mr. Speaker, and that continues. The provincial and federal governments are willfully undermining and eroding the governance structures that have existed on this landscape since time immemorial and elevating people who will, frankly, Mr. Speaker, sign their agreements. This government promises to protect old growth, but they are clear-cutting the territory that the chiefs of the Kwakutl and the Mumptagila must protect. The chiefs have sent multiple letters to the former Premier, the former Ministers of Forests, and now the new Premier seeking to meet in a good way at the fire to discuss the sacred responsibility that their ancestors left for them. Mr. Speaker, my question is through you to the Premier. Will he sit with the chiefs as they have requested? <laughs> Minister of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation.
Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and thank you to the member for, for the question. Our government has concluded that we must work with First Nations, and whether that leadership is hereditary, elected, or fused, we will work on the ground with them to meet their needs, both in forestry and other areas. Mr. Speaker, since the Declaration Act was enacted, that Indigenous governing body we take from the nations themselves and work in consultation and cooperation with those nations on issues such as the one that my colleague has, has raised. Member of Skina. Mr. Speaker, for years, this NDP government has been cozying up the protesters and spewing anti-resource project propaganda. Three years ago, those same protesters caused chaos, shut down crit critical infrastructure all across BC, including rail lines and ports. They even successfully blockaded this legislature. That was three years ago, and it's only gotten worse with increasing violence today. A little over a year ago, mass thugs armed with axes stormed a construction site on the Maurice River, destroyed equipment, and terrorized workers. Last fall, eight vehicles, including four RCMP cars and an ambulance, were burned in downtown Smithers, on the streets of Smithers. Just this past weekend, we learned of more acts of terrorism, sabotage, drilling holes in pipes, even pouring concrete on even pouring hydrochloric acid on concrete pipes that are meant to protect steel pipes. There have been no consequences for these acts of terrorism. Nothing. And this government's complete silence and lack of information has left everyone in the dark. My question is to the Premier, not to the ministers, to the Premier. When will this Premier finally take action to restore the rule of law and end the violence and terrorism? Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. Thank you. Uh, Honourable Speaker, and I thank the member for his question. Um, but I also want to correct um, some things that he has just said in his remarks. First off, this side of the House, in fact everybody in this side of the House, condemns in no uncertain terms any act of violence, intimidation, terrorism against uh, people doing lawful activities in this province. We have And to suggest otherwise, honourable member, is just plain wrong. But I also want to let the member know, know this. Please take this very, very seriously and are doing thorough, independent investigations to ensure that those who are responsible for these kinds of actions are in fact brought to justice. That means working to ensure they've got the strongest possible case that they can build. It's often working in, in, uh, with very difficult circumstances. What they need is information. What they need is people who know things to come forward to assist them in their investigations. I want to assure you that the police are doing everything they can. They brief me on a regular basis in terms of what's, what, what's taking place and what's happening. And I can assure you, when charges are laid, and at some point they will be, we expect them to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. 
Member for Skeena Supplemental. Mr. Speaker, just saying that you condemn something doesn't mean anything. Actions speak louder than words. We have seen members, no results of these. Members, let's hear the question. We've seen no results of these supposed investigations. And this is three years running now. We've seen nothing coming out of the attack in Smithers. We've seen nothing coming out in terms of what happened to the workers on the pipeline. In fact, a group, the ICBA, put out a reward for tips to figure out who exactly was behind all this. And now we've got this anonymous posting on the internet talking about how they're sabotaging infrastructure in the province of BC. If you do have this information, let the public know, because we're talking about the safety of BC citizens. We're talking about the safety of BC workers. And yes, we're talking about the safety of frontline workers, including the RCMP. So if you are so concerned about condemning these actions, back it up. Show the public what you've done to date. What charges are you talking about? And who are you going to lay them against? Who's guilty for these acts in BC? Members, 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 hold it. Please finish off. The NDP aligning with protesters have made incidents even more serious than anyone could have ever imagined. Imagine talking about terrorist activities in BC and look up the definition of terrorism while you're at it. Back in the day when the NDP sided with protesters, that was just plain politics. I get it. But today, the inaction actually equals terrorism. This is serious. Question, member. This is reckless. I'll repeat the question, gladly. But it's to the Premier, who used to be the Attorney General of this province, who fully understands the consequences of what's happening on the ground. My question to the Premier, not to the ministers. When will this Premier finally take action to restore the rule of law and end the violence and terrorism? Deputy Premier, Minister of Public Safety. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. I, I want to make a, a, a couple of points. First off, um, I'm sure the member did not intend to call members of the government uh, terrorists. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he did not, and if he did, he would withdraw those remarks when he has the opportunity to do that. I also want to take exception with uh, his comments about supposed investigations. The police do not take supposed investigations. They take these actions seriously, as does every single member on this side of the House and on that side of the House. that the police are doing in, uh, supposed investigations, that's insulting. And I will... Me members... To suggest that this, the government does not take this seriously... I'm not even going to dignify that, Honourable Speaker, with, with, with an answer to that. The police, 
the police are doing their job in terms of thorough investigations. If they need resources, they get them from us. We have an independent judicial system. And I can tell you, as I said a moment ago, I expect at some point when they've concluded their investigations into often difficult and complex situations, and they're determined to get to the bottom of it, I expect charges will be laid. And when those charges are laid, they'll go to court. And I expect them to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And people who are engaged in work that sabotages the lives of individuals or put their lives at risk should spend a maximum amount of time in the penalty box, behind bars. Member for Peace River North. Thanks, Honourable Speaker. Every day we hear stories of the crisis in our health care system. Every day we hear stories of the shortage of health care workers. But at a time when we need all hands on deck, thousands of doctors and nurses who want to work are sitting on the sidelines. Since June of last year, the official opposition has repeatedly urged the government to provide a pathway for all British Columbians to return to work, just like the federal government and nearly every other jurisdiction in Canada. There is no reason why we cannot follow their lead, especially with safety protocols in place. So on behalf of the tens of thousands of British Columbians waiting without basic health care, when is this Premier going to allow these doctors and nurses back to their jobs so that they can provide the care that people desperately need. Minister of Health. Uh, Honourable Speaker, um, the actions that have been taken in British Columbia against the COVID-19 pandemic in support of people who are most vulnerable I think have led Canada and have been leaders in the world. And the reason they've led Canada and been leaders of the world is that provincial health orders have been directed by the provincial health officer with the support of myself and the government. We have, Honourable Speaker, in British Columbia, vaccine mandates in place. Because people who are in acute care and people who are in long-term care and other circumstances are the most vulnerable to COVID-19. And so we have and we continue to take actions to protect them. And we are and going to continue to do so. I understand it's the position of the honourable member. And this is a public debate. And I say it with the greatest of respect because I've never criticized anybody for taking a contrary opinion to ourselves or Dr. Henry or anybody else. But what he's suggesting is that we overrule the provincial health officer on a matter of public health in a pandemic. I don't agree with that. And, Honourable Speaker, not take due care for people who are the most vulnerable to COVID-19, those who are in acute care hospitals as we speak and are in long-term care. I disagree with that. So we have a... Members. Minister will continue. And we're going to continue to take steps to ensure that we keep people safe in this public health emergency. Member for Caribou North. Mr. Speaker, wildfires, floods, landslides in Caribou North have caused dramatic damage in recent years, with hundreds of roads impacted, washed out, and or collapsed. Urgency is desperately needed 
for preventative work and maintenance on rural roads, bridges, and culverts. The current condition of the Quinell River Bridge and rail overpass are very concerning, and the lack of a concrete plan is equally alarming. Record levels of snow have already fallen this year, and more is expected. Mr. Speaker, people are bracing for a potential disaster with spring freshet. So to the Premier, what is the plan for the Quinell River Bridge and rail overpass, a vital link for Highway 97's transportation network? Minister of Transportation and Infrastructure. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question. Uh, she and I have had an opportunity to, uh, to speak on many occasions over many Frechette and uh, recent calendar years where roads in the Caribou have sustained significant damage, where slide activity has emerged, where it was previously not a factor. This is due to uh, the impact of wildfires, as the member uh, correctly noted. Um, but I think the member also knows that in every instance, where we have literally restored connectivity for hundreds of roads. This government has spared no expense to get people to and from work, to and from school, to use the construction seasons in the spring and summer, to work as quickly as we can to restore uh, the caribou uh, communities that have lost road access, and we will continue to do that. I know we have a budget pending this afternoon. The member will have an opportunity to see what the investment plan looks like in her region, as indeed all MLAs will look uh, in their own region, but we have worked with the federal government on disaster financial assistance. We have spent hundreds of millions of dollars on the West Fraser Road, for example, to in fact reallocate corridors to areas that are away from uh, climate risk uh, to, uh, to, to further uh, damage in the future, to build resiliency, and we will continue to do that. Member for Clono West. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Disaster Financial Assistance Program is just that, a complete disaster, as it fails to provide proper and necessary supports to people who have lost everything in devastating wildfires. In August of 2001, over 80 of my constituents, including Neil Morgan, lost everything, his home, his sawmill, in the devastating White Rock Lake fire, wildfire that struck communities all over the region. The official opposition has called for a grant program to offer high-risk wildfire area homeowners. My colleague from Kamloops South has introduced a bill to improve the DFA claim process dramatically. When will the Premier call the bill, when, and make the necessary changes to ensure that the government support wildfire victims like Neil? Minister of Emergency Management. Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for that very important question. What we have seen in recent years as a result of climate change is an increased frequency, uh, duration, scope of extreme weather events. It, there can be no doubt the climate crisis is here and it is here now. The impacts are very, very real. We only have to point to, well, actually, you can point to a lot of different extreme weather events, but certainly the 
uh, atmospheric river events of 2021 is a perfect example of that. During that event, uh, the DFA program, the Disaster Financial Assistance Program, uh, received a record-breaking 2,300 applications, absolutely unprecedented in this province. And the Emergency Management of British Columbia, EMBC, which was the organization that existed before EMCR uh, was created by the Premier, recognized very quickly that changes needed to be made in order to evolve the program to expand eligibility so that more people could be supported. We also recognized very quickly that the volume of applications that we were receiving was not a volume that EMBC at the time was equipped for, so many more people were staffed up to, to support that process. But even after all of these learnings, even at this point, uh, at which point we have, and, and to the member, we have now successfully processed 99% of the DFA applications from that event. But even today, we recognize that there is a lot more that needs to be done in the years. And I apologize, the member is talking about wildfires as well. There is extraordinary work and damage that has happened about wildfires. I apologize for focusing on the atmospheric river events. That the reason why I focus there is because a lot of what we learned about the DFA program and its inability to support, to fully support people through extraordinary events was learned from that event. We know that the DFA program must be modernized. We know that the program must be evolved. And that is work that we're going to be doing this year. The federal government will also be revising their eligibility um, requirements for the DFAA program that will, of course, inform our work. So that work will happen this year. Thank you so much. Member for Surrey White Rock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Fraser Valley is a disaster zone for commuters, and it's not just because of the snow. Bus services in Abbotsford, Chilliwack, Hope, Mission and the Fraser Valley Express route have come to a complete stop. The strike is already causing frustration and anger for those who rely to get to school, to work, to their medical appointments. And last year, the NDP failed to help people during the Sea to Sky Transit strike, the longest strike in BC's history. It's unacceptable that this government sits idly by while people are stranded in the Fraser Valley. My question is to the Premier, and it's a direct one. Is he going to sit there and let commuters and the people in the Fraser Valley be unable to get to work, to school, to medical appointments, or are they going to do something to end this strike? Premier. Making sure that people in the Fraser Valley are able to get to work and get home, uh, spend time with their families, get there efficiently has been front of mind for this government since we were sworn in. You've seen the Surrey Langley SkyTrain expansion. You've seen the expansion and the uh, extension of our expansion work around Highway 1. These are front of mind. The member importantly raises an issue affecting people right now, the strike. And I have every confidence that both the employer and the workers are going to get to work and get a deal that works for people in the community. But we are not going to leave those commuters stranded. We are focused on making sure we are focused on making sure that they get to get to school, get to work. That's a priority Members. for our government. Now, honourable speaker, um, I've, we've heard a lot of uh, questions from the opposition uh, here today. 
Uh, they're concerned about uh, farmers, food security, uh, housing for farm workers. They're concerned about health care. Members. Making sure that health care is available members, to people. Members, please. They're concerned about public safety. They're concerned about disaster and flood recovery around essential infrastructure for people up the valley and across the entire province. Well, so are we, Honourable Speaker. That's why we're putting the surplus to work for people investing in these very areas that they're talking about. That's why the budget today that will be delivered by the Finance Minister is going to invest in exactly these areas. But, but can you believe it, Honourable Speaker, that this morning on Global News, the Leader of the Opposition didn't get the memo from all his colleagues because he said if he was in charge right now, he'd be using that surplus not for people, he'd be using it to pay down the debt, Honourable Speaker. So there's a difference. There's a difference. We members, members, please. Members will come to order both sides. Now, Honourable Member. Speaker. Member, that's enough. Premier will continue. We will be making a significant payment on provincial debt. But we're putting the surplus to work for people in British Columbia. Exactly right. Exactly what member after member after member on their side asked about today. We're doing that work. We agree with them. We need to do that work. The finance minister is going to do that in the budget today. I'm so proud of her and the work she and her team has done. And every single member of this House fighting for people in British Columbia. That's how we're doing things differently.